Savor 2011, coverage by Craft Beer Radio from Saturday, June 4th. Private Tasting Salon, Granite State of Mind, with Peter Eggleston from New Hampshire's Smutty Nose Brewing. Okay, thank you all for coming. Uh, the private tasting we have right now is the Granite State of Mind. And uh, with us is Peter Eggleston. Uh, Peter was a home brewer, and he was a high school teacher. And uh, his sister Janet came back from the West Coast uh, back in the mid-'80s and said, there's something really cool going on. There's these restaurants that are actually brewing their own beer. And uh, so Peter uh, changed his life immediately and uh, um, started the uh, Northampton Brewery in 1987, uh, which was one of the first brew pubs in the eastern half of the United States. In uh, 1991, uh, he and his sister Janet opened the Portsmouth Brewery, which was the first brew pub in New Hampshire. And then he uh, won the equipment in a poker game and founded the uh, Smutty Nose Brewery in 1994. Um, Smutty Nose beers can be found on the East Coast from Maine to Florida and as far out west in Wisconsin. And uh, coming this summer will be a... uh, a new Smutty Nose Brewery that will be LEED certified, and it'll be about eight miles from the current Smutty Nose Brewery. So please join me in welcoming Peter Eggleston. So is this, is this okay? I've, I've been told I need to talk into this thing because um, it's being recorded, so I'll just pretend this is a talk show and I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you guys are not going to win a car tonight. Sorry. Um, well, let me, let me tell you a little bit of our, our story, and then we'll get down to the important business of uh, drinking beer and eating uh, nice handmade goat cheese. Um, as Paul mentioned, I, I uh, am, a, am, a, am a former high school teacher, um, so if you're talking while I'm giving my presentation, I will walk up and stand next to you. That's what they teach you in methods class, or at least that's what they used to teach you in methods class when you were a, a first-year teacher. Um, and it works. So uh, at any rate, um, we've, been, uh, we've, been, we've been brewing beer and, and uh, serving it over our bar or packaging it, shipping it out for quite a while. And uh, my sister and I, who were business partners for 14 years, uh, decided after, uh, after those 14 years, back in the year 2000, that we liked being brother and sister more than we liked being business partners. Uh, and we knew it had to be one or the other, so we, uh, we split up our partnership, and she's now the sole owner of our first brew pub uh, down in North Ham- down, up in Northampton, Massachusetts. And, uh, and I ended up with uh, Smutty Nose and Portsmouth Brewery and all the debt. And uh, it, actually, it actually worked out pretty well that way. Uh, she's going to be celebrating her 24th anniversary in a couple of months. Uh, and the scary part about that is half of her staff now weren't even born when we opened the place. Uh, we just had our 20th anniversary in Portsmouth, um, which was a lot of fun. But it also gives us, uh, you know, a little bit of room to pause. Um, I was uh, kind of inspired to to 
set up the, the format of the tasting that we'll be doing this evening. And, and believe me, I, I'm not going to put myself out as a, as a ranking authority on goat cheese um, or even the mix of, of flavors of goat cheese and beer. I know a little bit about beer, um, and I do know uh, what I know about cheese. Um, but what, what I really want to do is engage in a, in a conversation with all of you as we go through this. We're going to have three different beers and three different cheeses. So um, according to my little graph here, which I made, there are nine different iterations that we'll be going through. Not everyone is going to be successful in the sense that not everyone is going to want you stand up and, and sing hosannas. Uh, I think that... Uh, I think that's worth, worth, uh, uh, worth noting. Um, I've been to a number of, of sort of guided tastings of various and sundry things, and the thing that I always walk away with being kind of amazed at is how flawless all the pairings are. Well, of course they are, because someone put a lot of thought and effort into matching just the right flavors. Uh, we've got three different beers, which, which each have a, a pretty distinctive flavor profile. Uh, we've got, uh, uh, starting with uh, our nice uh, malty uh, Maybach, and then uh, our, our barley wine, and then a, a barrel-aged uh, Baltic porter. Um, and we've got three different goat cheeses, and even though they're all goat cheeses, they each have a very distinctive uh, characteristic. One of them is a smoked cheese. Uh, uh, the other one is rolled in herbs de Provence, and then the third one is uh, coated with a, a vegetable ash and mold rind. So they, they, again, they each have a very distinctive flavor. Um, and I was, I was kind of uh, reminded or inspired to take this approach after a, an event we did about a year ago, which was an event some of you may have heard of or attended called Koshan 555. And it's a traveling show that goes from city to city where they, they invite five chefs and they give each chef a pig, and, the, and then the chef is, is, uh, is then invited to, to, to butcher the pig and prepare it in whatever fantastic, creative way he or she can think of. And it's a lot of fun, and they've been doing this event for a few years, and they just finally started inviting breweries to, to participate, uh, I think probably at the urging of the chefs themselves. Um, we were doing that event in Boston about a year ago, and they were passing around these, these lovely plates of bacon uh, that they had made, and we were pouring our porter and our uh, IPA. And I had a porter in my hand, and I grabbed a piece of bacon, put it in my mouth, and took a little swig of porter, and it was absolutely dreadful. Uh, the combination of those two flavors. Now, the bacon was sublime, and I personally think the porter's pretty d darn good, too. Uh, but the combination of those two things really was a clunker. It, it was not successful at all. And it, it sounds kind of painfully obvious to say, but I'll say it anyway. Not all beer goes well with all food. Um, uh, beer generally goes well with pork products, but not, all, not everyone does. A real hoppy, uh, uh, kind of a citrusy, hoppy beer like, like our particular IPA was not a good match uh, with that, that salty bacon. Our porter, on the other hand, was very nice with it. That was quite a good combination. And so when we were preparing uh, for this salon and we were trying these different goat cheeses, uh, we, we recognized that some of the pairings were, were pretty amazing, we thought, 
and, and some were maybe not quite as successful. And I want to invite you guys to have that same experience. So what, I'm, what I hope to deliver to you is, is this range, you know, in, like in my little grid here. There's nine little boxes, and each one represents a, a different combination of one of the three beers and one of the three cheeses. Um, but the other thing I do want to say is that this is not a talk show in the sense that I'm going to want to do all the talking. And I please encourage you to, uh, if you've got a comment or a question or something, uh, be sure and, and flag me down and stop me. Otherwise, I'm, I'm just going to be kind of like a snowball rolling down the hill, just getting faster and faster and, and bigger and, and uh, more scary. Um, I'll tell you a little bit about Heartsong Farm, which is the producer of the cheese we'll be enjoying. Um, Heartsong Farm itself is located in a tiny little town in uh, kind of south-central New Hampshire, um, uh, heading up towards the White Mountains. Uh, how many of you have been to New Hampshire or know your way around the, the, uh, the Granite State? Okay. Um, a lot of people only know it every four years when primary season starts, and uh, oh my God, it's starting now. Um, Sarah Palin showed up in, in uh, Portsmouth the other day, I saw in the paper, and, uh, and apparently created quite a, quite a fuss because Mitt Romney was just down the road in Stratum announcing his candidacy, and this is what we're going to have to live with in New Hampshire for the next, uh, well, from, from now till the primary and uh, at the beginning of next year. You don't know how lucky you are to not be in New Hampshire at this time of every four years. Um, anyway, I digress. Um, Gilmanton Ironworks is a, is a uh, as the name would imply, is, is a little old mill town, but it's mostly rural. Um, uh, the, the woman who owns Heartsong uh, Farm uh, moved there with her, her husband and kids in 1994. Uh, she has eight children. Uh, she decided that uh, she was going to start raising goats, uh, basically to, to supplement her family's table, interestingly. Um, she became interested in making goat cheese uh, shortly after that, and in 2004, after a lot of, a lot of studies, she received her Master Cheesemaker certification and, uh, and went into business making uh, these amazing uh, handmade goat cheeses. Uh, it's a very small operation. Her herd varies from 60 to 70 animals, um, and she makes about 10,000 pounds of cheese in a year. It's all handmade, it's all hand-rolled and hand-wrapped, and it is truly a family operation, and, and as she's fond of saying, it is a real farmstead uh, creamery. And uh, so you, you generally don't see Heartsong cheeses outside of, outside of New Hampshire, so this is kind of a, a special occasion for us to have them here. Um, so without further ado, what we're going to do is bring out the, the three different cheeses, and then we'll... Uh, uh, we'll bring the, the beers out one at a time. And um, I'm trying to remember, I think we're going to be doing the Maybach first. I think that makes the, the most sense. And then we'll do the, uh, I believe we'll be doing the barley wine after that. And we'll wrap it up with our uh, wood aged Baltic Porter. Um, a little a note about the, uh, the beers themselves. All three of the beers are parts of what we call our big beer series. Um, the Big Beer Series is a limited edition uh, a series of beers. Uh, we do about nine editions every year. 
Uh, we brew anywhere from 1,000 to 2,000 cases of each edition, and that's it. Uh, we ship them out, and then they're done until they're repeated the following year, if we choose to repeat them at all. We started the Big Beer series in 1998. Um, and uh, at the time, we were, as, as many of you probably recall, that the craft beer business was, was really coming out of a serious period of doldrums. Um, we had lost a fair amount of volume in the previous couple of years. Uh, I should say sales volume. We didn't spill any beer. Um, and uh, all of our distributors were telling us we needed to make beer that was more drinkable. Uh, we needed to make lighter beers. Lighter beers was where it was at. We kept hearing that over and over again. Um, so our response, naturally, was to make Imperial Stout and Maybach, which were our first two uh, editions of the Big Beer Series. We said, you want lighter, more drinkable beers? Take this. Um, needless to say, it didn't go over very well at first. But um, the, uh, I think that the, the beer drinking world and, and eventually the distributors as well certainly came around and, and we see so many beers. And, and what's going on down below us uh, is, is a great example of where the beer, how far we have come as a beer industry since the mid-90s uh, when we were all being uh, instructed to make light beers. Um, so uh, the, uh, the one difference is the, the, the Maybach uh, we just released, uh, as the name would imply, uh, this year's Maybach just came out um, last month. Uh, the barley wine, we, we released the barley wine in January, and the Baltic Porter, uh, this edition of the Baltic Porter came out at the end of last year, I think in the fall. But what you're going to have tonight is a special edition that we laid up in uh, oak barrels uh, that we actually got from uh, the Boston Beer Company. Uh, these were barrels that they had aged their utopia in, or utopias rather. Um, and they were quite generous in giving us their old barrels, so uh, which were still pretty good barrels, and uh, it's, uh, it's one of the things, I have to say, that, that is uh, a kind of a classic example of how collegial the, the craft beering in, the beer industry is. Uh, they, uh, the, the Boston Beer Company has been very generous with its smaller brethren in the, uh, in the craft beer world on, on many occasions, and this is just a small example of that. Uh, so the, so the, the uh, Barrel-aged uh, Baltic Porter is, is a pretty special beer. You guys are the only ones who've had it or will have had it. Uh, we haven't shipped it out. Um, most of our wood-aged stuff doesn't get sold to the general public. We'll do an occasional firkin and, and ship it out for cask, or every now and then a few of them go into, uh, into uh, half barrels and six barrels. But for the most part, they, uh, they don't get very wide distribution, so... That will be uh, kind of a little treat to finish up the, the evening. Um, hopefully, I'll get one of these beers, too. Oh, thank you. I was at an event at a, uh, at a restaurant earlier today, and we were supposed to be one of the featured uh, breweries there, and, and the, the servers kept going by and kept going by, and I was starting to feel very sorry for myself because everyone had a beer except me at that point. Um, but I do have one now, so thank you. Well, 
there, there really isn't a, a science to doing this. What, what I'm just going to encourage everyone to do is to, to familiarize yourselves with the, uh, with the, uh, let me ask, first of all, I guess I should know before we, we mow down on all this uh, cheese and eat it up before it's all gone. Is, is there a, a separate round of cheese with each beer or is this the, the extent of it? So, yeah, this is the extent of it. Okay, so so we have to make so so we have to make the the each of these cheeses last for three beers. So don't do like what I usually do and pop the whole thing in your mouth, because uh, uh, Peter, can you tell us what the three cheeses are? Yes, um, and I hope they're they're lined up the same way that you, you can tell by the way they look. The the one on the on on my left. Uh, is the uh, Applewood smoked goat cheese. And, and you can tell that has the kind of light brown uh, skin on the outside of it. Uh, the one in the middle, again, you can tell because it's, it's got herbs de Provence. It, the, the wheel is rolled in the herbs de Provence. Um, and then the one with the, uh, the mold and ash rind is uh, the... Um, let see if I can get this... Uh, pronunciation correct, the Valencé. So that one's got a, a mold rind with uh, vegetable ash on the outside. And that's the one that's obviously the most pungent. So um, I will invite you to take a little sip of the Maybach. A little bite of the cheese. So what do you think about the Maybach and the, uh, and the Applewood smoked goat cheese? I see a thumb up. Yep, definitely. Okay. Um, now, has anyone uh, gone ahead and tried the herbs de Provence with the, uh, with the Maybach? What do you think about that one? Yeah, see, I'm not digging that one quite as much. I thought the, uh, I thought the, uh, the, the smoked cheese, there's something that the, the, the Maybach has, has this very lovely kind of fruity character to it, and the hops are very subdued as well. Um, and in my view, and, and I, I'm the first one to admit, this is very subjective, so don't take this as, as the gospel, but in my view, the, uh, the Applewood smoked... Uh, cheese is, is a really nice pairing with the Maybach. Maybe not so great with the Herbs de Provence. Let's, let's see how it does with the Valencé. Well, see, I could eat like a pound of this cheese anyway, so it couldn't go wrong in my opinion. But um, I don't know. What, what do some of the rest of you think about the, uh, the Maybach with the Valencé? The cheese dominates the flavor of the beer. It really does, doesn't it? So, so do you think that cheese would probably do better with a more aggressively flavored beer? Yeah, we'll, we'll see a couple of those coming up. Um, any other thoughts about, about these 
three cheeses with this particular beer, the Maybach. I'm not a big fan of like a lot of smoked cheeses, but the smoked cheese with the Maybach was just, you know, com like mashed with it perfectly. And it was really, brought a lot of flavors out of it. We, we felt that way when we tried these back at the brewery. And, and we did this, this tasting at the brewery with really without any preparation at all. Valerie, who's the owner of Heartsong, uh, did us a, a big favor and broke away from her goats and drove down the hill and spent an afternoon with us. And, uh, and she was very generous with her time and very patient with a bunch of uh, cheese rookies sitting around the table in the brewery. Um, but but the, the general consensus, at least with, with our group, was that the smoked cheese went nicely with, really nicely with the Maybach, and the Maybach wasn't quite so successful with the other two cheeses. Um, I think the Maybach is a lovely beer in its own right, but it, it, it doesn't go universally with every cheese, if I don't think so. Maybe it was a textural thing, but it seemed to me that the cheese with the herbs de Provence had uh, brought out more of the carbonation in the beer than mm. the other two. Actually, Paul, thanks for bringing that up about the carbonation, because um, as, as you'll see, and, and some of you may have already had uh, experience with this. Has it, well, I should, I should I skipped ahead. I usually quiz people before I jump into these kinds of things. Um, so we'll do it now. How many of you uh, are home brewers? Okay, that's a good representation. Um, third. How many of you make cheese at home? One. So how many are in your herd of goats? <laughs> well, yeah, you know, believe it or not, I think, I think in, in a few years' time, if I ask the same question, we'll probably see more hands go up because more and more people are, are interested in, uh, in making their own, you know, artisanal foods. But um, how many of you have actually participated in other uh, guided tastings involving beer and cheese? Okay, good. Um, and, and again, I think we'll see more and more of that as well. Uh, the question or the, the point that Paul raised about carbonation, I, I think, is really an important point to make, especially when you're making the distinction between uh, the pairing of wine and cheese and the pairing of beer and cheese. Um, the carbonation in beer serves a very useful uh, function in that it tends to uh, not only kind of scrub your palate as you're eating, but it also does tend to excite your taste buds. And it adds a textural element, you're right, that, uh, that is, is pretty unique to, to beer. Um, and it, I think it makes, frankly, I think it adds a, a little element of fun to the, to the, the cheese tasting. And uh, I'm a big wine fan, so I'm not going to slam wine, but I, I do think that, that beer tends to be a lot more versatile with a lot more different foods, and, uh, and cheese is certainly no exception. Um, the texture, though, between the, the smoked cheese and the herbs de Provence and the, the Valence, they're, they're three very different textural, uh, te uh, textural text textural experiences. Yeah. Well, let's go ahead and, and give the, uh, we're doing the barley wine next, right? Yeah. Sure. In any Maybach, for instance. Uh, but as far as the cheeses go, how much uh, consistency is there in those? I mean, would you, would you pretty much get the same sensation from, from the smoked cheese if you took it? 
last year or next year? That's a really good question. And for those of you who, who may not have heard the whole question, um, the, the question was, you know, brewers put a lot of emphasis in creating a, a consistent product unless their intention is to make an inconsistent product, which sounds sort of weird to say, but it's actually true. I mean, we used to, and we don't do it so much anymore, but we used to tinker with our big beer recipes so that the, the 2005 barley wine was different from the 2006 barley wine, and so on and so forth. We don't really do that so much anymore. Um, and we actually had that conversation with Valerie from Heartsong Farm, her cheeses do tend to vary. And the reason they vary is that uh, the, um, there, there are a number of different factors that affect the flavor of the cheese. Uh, one is the, 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 uh, how the herd is comprised. She has three different breeds of goats. Um, she, has, uh, she has Nubians. Uh, she has Sanins which are the white ones with the ears that stand straight up. The Nubians are the ones with the long floppy ears that are kind of piebald. And then she has cross, cross breeds between the two. Um, depending on how much, you know, each of those breeds uh, yields a slightly different tasting milk. The other factor as far as the goats are concerned is where they're at in their breeding cycle. Because where they're at in their breeding cycle impacts the amount of milk fat uh, that's in the or the amount of butter fat rather that's in the in their milk and that's a big factor in in the flavor and texture of the cheese as well as just the yield that she gets out of it. The other factor is the season. Um, she keeps her goats outdoors 12 months of the year, um, and she feeds them uh, she feeds them hay 12 months out of the year. During the warm weather, they're pastured and they eat grass. During the cold weather, they eat baled hay. They don't get any antibiotics. They don't get any grain. They don't, they don't get anything, you know, that's not completely natural. They basically eat grass 12 months out of the year. However, a goat that's, that's in, a, in an outdoor lean-to in January in New Hampshire is going to produce milk that tastes different than the same goat produces in June. So those factors all come into play. And she does a lot of blending, which affects some of those things, like the breeding cycle and the, and the, and the breed of the goats. Um, but there's nothing she can do to blend out that seasonal variation. So the short answer to your question is yes, there is some variation in the cheese uh, from seasonally with, with these, uh, these cheeses. Okay, well, let's, let's dive into this... Uh The barley wine, as you've noticed, is a, is a very assertive beer. It's pretty highly hopped. Um, has, has a nice kind of fruity quality to it in and of itself. Um, so quiet. Well, one of the things on my mind is that um, 
again, uh, uh, the one with the Herbes de Provence came across different to me. In this case, I thought it, uh, when I ate the cheese and then drank the beer, I felt like I got more bitterness out of the beer on that middle cheese. The, I, think the, I think the herbs that the cheese is rolled in um, definitely can have that effect. Uh, the barley wine is a hoppier beer to begin with, and uh, certainly the, the, the herbs on the cheese itself can be perceived as bitter, and that may be one of those kind of synergies that you get between, because hops are, are nothing but another herb, um, and they are, they are essentially kind of analogous to the, to the basil and oregano you put in your spaghetti sauce. Uh, it's, it's a spice or an herb that, that has a, an impact on the flavor of the beer. Um, so what, what's our consensus here? What do we think was the, was the best pairing of the three cheeses with this barley wine? Anybody want to? You're, you're nodding your head there. The middle one. You like the herbs de Provence? The middle one, nice, nice balanced blend of, of everything. Mm-hmm. How about some of the rest of you? Did, did anybody find a different, a different one that appealed to them? Well, I, I don't like goat cheese much, mm-hmm. but the third one tastes like super goat cheese, but with barley wine, it tastes really good. Okay. But I like the second one, too. But the first one didn't taste as good as the first time, the first bee. So you felt that the smoked goat cheese wasn't as successful with the barley wine as it was Compared with the Maybach. The, the first one, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, um, these cheeses, they are goat cheeses. As, as, as the uh, gal from Heartsong pointed out, they're not as goaty as many goat cheeses can be. Um, but goat cheese is a very, a very distinctive flavor. Um, what did people think of the Valencé with, with the barley wine? Was, uh, did anyone enjoy that pairing as much as the others? The cracker helped a lot with that one because it, it just seemed a little sweeter and it, it kind of maybe cut the, the bitterness of the hops a little bit. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, I've, sort of, I've been skipping the crackers myself, but uh, maybe I should give Take that a try. Um, that's, that's the one that I liked. I put a little star by that. But again, I'm, I'm very partial to that particular cheese. And I was, I was kind of looking for a beer that could, that could stand up to it and, uh, give it a run for its money. Uh, were there any, was there anybody that felt that, uh, that any of the combinations were just didn't work at all so far? Uh, the hardest one for me was the uh, smoked cheese, just because it seemed like uh, it accentuated the bitterness uh, mm. of the barley wine, which has to be bitter to stand up to the sweetness of it. Mm-hmm. So uh, that was hard for me, but the last cheese was perfect. I mean, it was the The, ve- the one with the, the mold rind, the, the right. vegetable ash? Right. You had the, the sweetness work there, and also the graham crackery amount of uh, the cracker was perfect. Yeah. Also quiet. I, I had this idea that if we were going to do this this salon at 9:45, I'd have this rowdy bunch of soccer hooligans here throwing stuff at me. So, yes. Uh, what, uh, sorry. What uh, restaurant were you at today? <laughs> <laughs> I will not divulge that. It's not fair. 
I was just curious where you were. Uh, we're, not, we're not concerned about the servers, just, just about where you, where you went in DC. Oh, no, well, it, which, which story about not getting you served? Had, you said you were at a restaurant and there was like, you know, I was just curious which. Oh, my own was. restaurant? No, in DC. Oh, in DC. Oh, I was at a place over in Arlington. That, uh, that, that does a great job. It's just that, that the server didn't notice me, and I felt very sorry for myself. And I won't say any more because I won't. Because uh, as an owner of a restaurant myself, I know how hard they work, and I know sometimes people don't get noticed, and, and, and that's the end of that. <laughs> very diplomatic. Um, well, shall we? Um, do we want to move on to the, to the Baltic Porter? Or... Um, and, and honestly, I don't know how much, if, if any, of this beer is left, but uh, I can't take it home with me. So um, if, we, uh, if we have some beer left, we will, uh, I'm not going to let you out till we, uh, till we drink it all. No, that's not true. But The Baltic Porter um, that you're going to have is, of the three beers that we're having tonight, is really the one with, with the most, I think, complex uh, flavors. Um, you'll find that, as is pretty typical of Baltic Porters, um, it's got everything you would expect uh, in a porter. It's got the nice... Uh, uh, rich, roasted, kind of coffee, chocolatey flavors. Um, our Baltic Porter also has a, has a real distinctive uh, little tartness to it. Um, and, um, and then you, you layer onto that the, uh, the, the, the aging in the Utopia's barrel, which is, you know, right up front. You can't miss that. Um, so you've, you've got that... That, that real kind of bourbony, as, as is typical, kind of a sweetness to it. Um, so you have to kind of look underneath it to find the, the roasty flavors, and then you have to look a little deeper to find that little tart, sour aspect at the very end. Um, but it does, it does it's, it's a very multi-dimensional beer. Um, we brew our Baltic Porter, interestingly, with a lager yeast, which is not uncommon with this particular style of beer. Um, you can, you can kind of go either way. We, we prefer to do ours with a lager yeast because we like the way it, it dries the beer out a little bit more um, than our ale yeast. Does anybody have any comments on the beer first? It's, it's, well, it's a delicious, delicious beer, I think, first of all. I mean, it... it in its own right, it's going to stand up very well. So, what it does with the cheeses is a separate issue. So, I'm a big fan of the Baltic Porter. I mean, this this is you know a staple in my fridge during the winter times, and uh, this with the barrel age to it just adds a whole entire different dimension to it. It's like an entirely new beer. With the the base beer still being great. But the uh, barrel age bringing out some balanced flavors and pushing through different flavors is great. Well, thank you. I think it's stunning. I think it's an amazing beer. It is fun, yeah. You know, as, as I mentioned, we made very, very little of this. 
And uh, so it's, it's kind of fun to be able to, to put it in bottles and, uh, and uh, bring it with us. We, we, we used to, uh, we were relegated to bottling. When we had to make tiny batches of bottled beer, we used a little Melvico uh, homebrew filler, uh, which we borrowed from the Portsmouth Brewery, which they always used to use to bottle their Kate the Great and, uh, and the beers that they sell out of the retail store at the brew pub. And this year we invested in a nice little semi-automatic two-head filler, so we're, we're able to do more of these. And it does a much nicer job. There's very little dissolved oxygen pickup or, or carbonation loss, and it sure made Kate the Great bottling a lot easier this year, too. And... Uh, so, more on that later. So, out of, out of the three cheeses, what are we thinking here? Oh. I'm going to have to rethink my fondness for that Valencé. I, I like it. I'm, Do I'm you? I'm on the other side. I like that one a lot. There you have it. It, it does, well... <laughs> I'm not a big fan of the Valencé mm-hmm. on its own, and I think it understates it a little bit. And I think it does the same with the uh, smoke, Applewood smoked uh, cheese, yeah. that it, it takes those cheese, the cheeses take the beer and reduce the flavor mm-hmm. of the beer a little bit. Like the smoked cheese with this uh, barrel age was just great, like he was saying. Yeah. Just uh, with the cracker itself, which just overpowered this, this a little too much. Like it didn't balance it; we didn't push the flavors of the beer through as much as the smoke did. Yeah, I I thought the Valencé went best with the barley wine, personally for me. Um, but I, uh, I I could see Paul's point about how the cheese kind of brings the the, the flavor of the beer, kind of wrestles it to the ground a little bit. Um, but. Uh, I don't know. Any other any other thoughts about that? I, we're, I think there's a little consensus emerging that the that this Applewood smoked cheese seems to be the winner with this Baltic Porter. Um, anybody want to want to make a case for the Herbes de Provence? Really? Ah. Well. Oh. Well, I'm, I'm with my friend in the sense that I'm not a very big goat cheese fan. Yep. Um, these are very mild, though, so yay for that New Hampshire farmer. Um, <laughs> but I just had the smoked cheese with it, and it's it's delicious as well. I don't know. I'm it's the third one. The third one, the um, yeah, with the mold, the ash yeah. and the mold. Okay, well he likes he like I'm um, the Valencia. Yes. Um, I'd like to say though that the the porter um, with the oak, it, it it's it's almost like a scotch. <laughs> it is delicious. <laughs> So thank you. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you. The herbs, I think, like, uh, the herbs are really strong in the, in the middle cheese, and um, it seemed that the uh, the beer was instead of the cheese pushing the beer flavors forward, the, the beer pushed the herbs flavor forward in the cheese a little bit. But it, it, it meshed nice. Though. I mean, you know, I don't have any complaints about it. You know, it's, it still made its flavor through, so it was very tasty, very good pairing. Yeah, one of the um, one of the things too that that obviously when when we're putting together a, like a cheese platter at home, um, you're, you're doing more than just cheese and crackers. You may have some some 
grapes, you may have some, you know, sliced up strawberries or, or, or dried fruit or nuts or whatever. And, and so what, what you're more likely to have is a much wider palette of flavors to play with. Um, it, is, it is kind of fun, though, to zero in on very specific flavors and, and see what you can experience. Uh, we had a meeting... Uh, it seems ages ago. What was it? Just yesterday morning, right? When uh, or, or Thursday evening when Charlie was talking about umami. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, I, uh, Charlie Papazian was talking to a, a group of brewers uh, the other afternoon about uh, about the, the flavors of, of umami, uh, which I, I understand translates literally as kind of deliciousness. That's what I've always right. understood. It, it's that, a protein that. Um uh, it it can make like a magic yumminess uh, when it uh, complements uh, the beverage you're drinking with the food you're drinking. Yeah, yeah, and I don't know if if there is if there's a presence of umami in cheese uh, in the same way there is in say mushrooms, but uh, but but it the the science of food and and the chemistry of it is very fascinating how how our our bodies interact with these things do you have some knowledge about that well i actually run the beverage program at a japanese restaurant mm-hmm. and um the the chemical behind what they call umami is closely related well overlaps with let's say msg mm-hmm. um monosodium glutamate but it is this kind of kind of an earthy character, and um, it's interesting talking about the way these beers have worked. I work a lot with wine, and with wine we often talk about acidity and how it relates to the cheese. And I was especially interested that we we're working with goat cheeses today, which have a higher acidity than than cow's milk cheese. Mm-hmm. Um, but because of the, the the hops and the umami character, we were still we're still able to get. Um, good balances and interesting combinations without the presence of a lot of acidity. When often, when we talk about wine, if you don't have a high acid wine, when you have a high acid cheese, like goat cheese, you're going to lose. But beer seems to have other components, umami or or the alpha acids of the hops or something that, that seem to make it work and still be flexible. Is it fair to say, too, that the carbonation can act as a kind of a proxy for yes, acidity? Yes, that's, that's true as, as well. well. Yeah. But a, a barley wine is hardly a, a high carbonation style, though, for example. And yeah. For me, personally, that was the most flexible of the three beers we tasted hmm. with the three cheeses, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and keeping in mind, too, that, that the beers we tried this evening are all pretty big beers, um, we would have had a very different experience had we been tasting with, uh, you know, something much lighter like, like say, a, a, a nice uh, effervescent Hefeweizen or, or something like that. Um, and uh, we'll have to save that for the next session. But uh, these, uh, we thought these would be a, a fun mix. We, we knew that the goat cheese has a very, uh, a very assertive character in its own right, so we thought that we needed to pair it with, with beers that were we're pretty assertive as well. Um, but uh, I uh, am, uh, I got one more little piece here. I have to do the cracker. Everyone's told me I have to eat this cracker. Um, that is good. Yeah, see, I should have been doing that all along. 
Yeah, I, I was thinking the crackers were going to be a palate cleanser, but it's different when you're eating the cheese with the cracker and then the beer. Yeah. Or the yeah. beer and with the cheese and cracker. I also tried the, um, uh, the barley wine and then the porter uh, right away, and uh, I felt that was a great beer and beer pairing. That's a whole new frontier. You know, we've, we've got all these food and beer pairings. Next, we'll be doing beer and beer pairings. What a great idea. I've I got to write that down. That, just like I, I made notes about when Charlie was talking about umami, I was making notes to myself there about, you know, Korean barbecue and kimchi and things like that. So, uh, absolutely. Um, is it appropriate to offer people a refill of beer if we've absolutely. got any left? Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, oh, golly. I'll just start at the beginning. I'll have a little bit of Maybach. Would anyone like a refill? Okay. Yep. There, there are other cups on the little platforms here if you want to have multiple beers in front of we'll, you. We'll uh, turn you guys into soccer hooligans yet. I don't know. This group will have to drink a lot more to become soccer hooligans. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you for coming out. Please do. Oh, in Northampton? Yeah. Are you guys near there? But you head up that way? Sure. Oh, good. Oh, really? That's a shame. That's a shame, but... Uh, well, thanks for coming out. Does anyone have any questions for Peter? Right. Are you a sailor? Oh, okay. Does anyone have any questions for Peter or about his brewery or some of the other beers that they have? No questions? Uh, is there any plans for Smutty Nose to be doing like a barrel age series or anything of that nature in the future? I know it's kind of like a popular thing to do right now, but I mean, is there... Because with the taste of this utopias and Baltic Porter, it's just uh, amazing. Yeah, that's, that's a good question. The question is, does Smutty Nose have any plans to do a, like a, like a barrel-aged yeah. series? And, and we actually do. Um, we've been making uh, beer and, and, and doing wood-aged beers for quite a while. In fact, um, we shipped a, a keg of uh, wood-aged farmhouse ale off to Chicago last year for the, for the, the wood and, and barrel-aged uh, competition there, and it won best in show. And we weren't expecting to win. In fact, Dave and Charlie, Charlie, who does all of our wood-aged uh, projects, they had already left. They were off at some bar somewhere hanging out, and they got a text message saying, hey, you guys have to come back. You won the best of show. And that kind of sums up how we've 
we're kind of lame that way. We don't really, uh, like we, I have, I have, I shouldn't say this in Paul's presence, but uh, in my office we have GABF medals kind of thumbtacked to my bulletin board because we don't really know what to do with them after we've won them. They're, and it's not that we don't appreciate winning them. It's quite a thrill, believe me. Um, but I knew a brewer who kept them in his sock drawer. Yeah, well, see, I think that's not uncommon with brewers, you know. There, there are some that, that wear them around their neck and march around with their chests all puffed out. But then a lot of them, and a lot of the ones down below, are probably do keep them in their sock drawers or the equivalent thereof, you know, tacked to their bulletin board in their office. Because um, we're, we're kind of, we're just busy, we're kind of geeky about what we do, and we're not as good at promoting ourselves as, as maybe we should be. Um, but to your, to your question with the, the barrel-aged beers, um, we love making them, and we'd love to get them out into a, a bigger circulation. And it's one of the reasons we did invest in the, the nice little uh, two-head uh, uh, semi-automatic HDP filler, uh, because we'll be doing um, we'll, that'll give us the ability to, to do bottlings of wood-aged beers. Um, and release them. We're, we're going to be doing them in 750 uh, milliliter bottles and, uh, and sending them out into the world. We don't make a lot of them, so they'll be uh, kind of going out to, you know, select places, but uh, probably... Where, where do you shop for beer? Okay. Well, if you, if you pass through Portsmouth, stop at the brewery, because we always have things in our cooler that, that never make it out of the building otherwise. Oh, good. Okay. Well, good. When you stop in next, I'll recognize you, and I'll buy you a beer. Um, uh, Peter, can you talk about uh, the new brewery you're building, uh, what the capacities are going to be, how many years you think this will last? Are you going to shut down the old brewery or have two running there? Sure. Um, yeah. Can I adjust this? This is. You can just pull it out if you want. Okay. Um, Paul was asking about our our new brewery. Uh, we recognized probably ten years ago that we our 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 days in our current location were going to be numbered uh, because we were at the time we occupied half of a 25,000 square foot building and as we grew things got more packed in things became more efficient and if you pardon my language we were the proverbial you know 20 pounds of shit in a 10 pound bag and uh and it's it's been tough even when we took over the other half of the building and we had 25,000 square feet uh, which we did four years ago, uh, within like a year after moving into that new space, um, we, were, we were packed to capacity again. Uh, last year, we shipped out just about 30,000 barrels. Um, however, our production really maxed out at about 27,000 barrels. So how did we ship out 30? Well, we had the balance made for us at uh, FX Matt in Utica, New York. They brewed our pumpkin ale for us last year. Starting this year, in fact, starting this month, they're brewing our brown dog for us because this year we're going to ship out, out about 37,000 barrels. 
So the difference between 37 and 28,000, which is kind of our maximum capacity where we are, is all going to have to be made off-site by our friends at Matt's. Um, so needless to say, we need a bigger brewery. And we've had one on the drawing board for quite some time. We will be breaking ground uh, before the end of the summer. And our new brewery will be, it, it, will, it will have... The day we walk in the door and turn on the lights for the first time, it'll have the capacity to produce about 60,000 barrels. Um, we do have a master plan that will allow us to add on to the building as we need to to get us up to probably as much as, as 120, 150,000 barrels if we choose to go that route. Um, I tend to be... Uh, I guess, I guess I would describe myself as somewhat old-fashioned in the sense that I, I don't really know that I want to be a 500,000-barrel-a-year brewery or, or, or even, you know, a third that size. Uh, I, I believe that craft brewing at its best is a regional phenomenon, and I think that what we'll see within the ranks of craft brewers is a real divergence because there are those who, are, who really are reaching pretty wide and, and are doing it successfully. And then there are, there are many of us who, who really are, are much more committed to that regional footprint. And I don't think one approach is better than the other. They're just different. And, and our approach uh, is going to continue to be... Uh, Pretty, pretty fiercely regional. I like the fact that you can't get smutty nose in places. Uh, you know, I grew up on the West Coast. I moved east when I was 19 and never looked back. And I love traveling to places and finding things that I can't get at home. And, and I think beer is a great example of that. You know, everywhere I travel, and if I go into a place, the first thing I look for is the local beer. Because it's something I can't find at home every day. And uh, so, but having said that, we're, we're still growing so much in our existing markets that we, we need a lot more capacity just to service those markets. And uh, so moving into a new facility that will allow us to grow up to 60,000 barrels, at the rate we're growing, we will max out that capacity within about five years' time. Um, I'm not sure at that point. We'll either have to go and build onto the brewery as we have, you know, at least on, the, on paper we have plans to do, or we'll have to make some other kinds of decisions uh, in that regard. It's going to be a beautiful facility. It'll be LEED certified. Uh, we're shooting for LEED Gold certification. So we're jumping through all the, the lead hoops as far as energy efficiency goes um, and, and all the other things, everything from how you manage your, 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 uh, your stormwater runoff to uh, uh, your energy use to, to access to public transportation and, and bike racks and uh, what your choice of, of paints are and, and wall coverings and carpets. You know, the, the lead process is very arduous and uh, it's been a fascinating experience designing a brewery to meet those standards. Any uh, last questions before we wrap it up and drink a little bit more porter before we go down? The, the, the brewery, we're, we're currently located in Portsmouth. Um, we um, had optioned a piece of land in Portsmouth that, that we were going to build our new brewery on. 
And um, sadly, we weren't able to build there. The, the, the city staff told us that the zoning restrictions that, that made that, that site uh, untenable initially, they said, oh, don't worry about that. The city is working on overhauling its zoning, and we're going to we're going to we're make, make sure that zoning is appropriate for your use. Because Portsmouth has very strict use-based zoning. We wanted to have a, a, a light manufacturing use and a, and a retail use, namely a restaurant, on the same site. And that's not permitted on Portsmouth's table of uses. So uh, you can do one or the other, but you can't do both in the same lot. And uh, unfortunately, I got caught up in a... In a situation that it happened that it that it was like 30 years in the making the site we had chosen was across a highway from a residential area that had been there for many many years it was really the first subdivision in Portsmouth it was built in the early 60s and many of the people who still live there are are have lived there since the early 60s and they are fiercely loyal to their neighborhood and are very, very concerned about what they perceive as threats to their neighborhood. And I'll, I'll make a long story very short just to tell a little anecdote that my attorney told me. He, when he heard that I had optioned this 10 acres of land, he said, you know, Peter, I had a client that wanted to put a daycare center in the lot right next to that, and the neighbors banded, to get, banded together and killed it off because they needed a special permit. And I said, well, why would they do that? That neighborhood would really benefit from a daycare center. There's lots of young families there. It's walking distance. Daycare centers are low impact. He said, that didn't matter. They did it because they could. Now, I didn't understand that at the time. Two years later, and, and many hundreds of thousands of dollars spent and, and this painful process that, that became very political and very ugly because the newspaper got involved and were portraying us as, as like this, this big scary monster that was threatening the, these people's uh, lives. Um, I realized what, what that was all about. Um, and uh, so needless to say, we, we, we didn't get the zoning change we needed I like to say we got run out of town on a rail, which isn't really true, but that's me feeling sorry for myself again. Um, but as it turns out, we, we actually found, uh, you know, that old cliche about how one, when one door closes, another one opens is true in life in, in many cases. And when we were kind of licking our wounds after this debacle that happened in our hometown of Portsmouth, uh, we discovered another site about eight miles south of us down in Hampton, which is a beautiful old farm, which is now in Hampton's industrial zone, so it can no longer be used as a farm, or at least as a farm with a residence on it. And we're going to be building our brewery there, and it's, it's, a, it's a lovely site. We plan on preserving uh, as much of the original features. You know, there's an apple orchard on it and lots of big specimen trees that are hundreds of years old and so on. And uh, so it's, it's going to be quite a, a beautiful uh, uh, site uh, for, for a new brewery. And Hampton's table of uses allows us to do everything we want to do without any zoning variances. So there's no politics involved. Uh, we were able to go in and present our plan and make a case for ourselves and get our site plan approved. So we're, 
We're ready to roll. We w we're just wrapping up our final uh, round of uh, engineering and design work, and we, we expect to have a shovel in the ground before the summer's out. All right. Well, thank you, uh, Peter, and uh, um, we really appreciate it. And you're welcome to finish the open beers here or go back down. There's about 15 minutes left in savor, and that was a very nice uh, tasting. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. This podcast was produced by the Brewers Association and presented by Craft Beer Radio. To find more information on Savor or further podcasts, visit craftbeerradio.com slash savor or craftbeer.com. This content is released under the Creative Commons license. Visit craftbeerradio.com for more information.